Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? You sound a bit under the weather, Amy. I I have been this week, yeah. So uh, one of the teenagers in the house shared a, a cold with me, so it's knocked me down a little bit, but yeah. I'm getting back up. Kids, the gifts that keep on giving. I've got four of them myself. I know how that works. And yes. thankfully they have not had any kind of funk in a while. That's that's great. Well, to to be fair, you know, we we just we share everything in this house and the other teenager has now let me know that uh, that they're not feeling the best and has accused me of passing this on. So, oh. it's it just goes around. Yes. So. It, yeah, before long it'll be the good Dr. Whitfield. He'll be right. down with it as well. It's everywhere. Yes. So. Well, before we jump into our news this week, and, and Amy, the news kind of hit in earnest this week. We, we've had a couple of slow news weeks to start off the year, and uh, this week it it was not. Here we go. So yeah, we, it, things, business picked up. Yes. Well, before we get there, let's thank our sponsor, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, where we saw some great news out of Boyce College, their undergraduate school at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary last month. Dr. Albert Moeller and Matt Hall announced a new bachelor's degree program at Boyce in communication. This new program promises cutting-edge training in the complexities of communication fields for the 21st century with the biblical and theological studies you would expect from Southern Seminary and Boyce College. You can find out more about this program at boycecollege.com slash communication. Uh, another great program from the undergraduate college up there at Southern Seminary. Uh, thanks again to those guys for sponsoring this week, as well as every week. That moves us to our top story, and we, we talked about it a few weeks ago whenever Dr. Greer uh, proposed it at first. Uh, the Hoosier One kind of announced the launch of that. We mentioned that there was a, a big webcast coming for the Associational Mission Strategists and the SBCAL, and they'd be pushing out all the details of Hoosier One. Well, that happened this week, and he previewed the Hoosier One Evangelism Strategy on January 31st. I saw a little bit about this on the day that it was uh, simulcasting on the 31st and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of a big deal. And I love how this really uh, was kicking off through the local associations using the ability to, to simulcast. There were roughly 250 associational missions strategists that were participating in this. So we've heard a, a good bit about this Who's Your One initiative, but this is kind of the kickoff leading up to Birmingham. So starting uh, starting with this, and then we can work, and then working through the local associations to really get this out. Yes, and you can go and find out more about Who's Your One. They launched the website. It's at whosyourone.com. That's whosyourone.com. Over there, you can get a free prayer guide, a 30-day prayer guide. You can download that and also an implementation guide. And then also you can register, uh, put your email in, and get ongoing resources from the Summit Institute, J.D. Greer, and everybody that's putting this together. So North American Mission Board put this website together for people to be able to get the resources for Who's Your One and increase evangelism in their church. Johnny Hunt was on the simulcast, too, with uh, President Greer. He's you know the vice president for evangelism at the North American Mission Board, so he's also heavily involved in this. So this is good to see, and hopefully we will yeah. see some fruit from our labors here. Yeah, this is, uh, this is exciting and really fits with the uh, focus of gospel above all that was was laid out for this year. 
and now we're we're kind of getting to see one of the first tangible things, uh, action points for us. We mentioned last week on the show that Curtis Woods had been named chairman of the resolutions committee for this year's Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting, and that your husband, Keith Whitfield, had been named right. the vice chairman. The rest of the committee was announced this week. Amy? Tell us about them. In addition to those two, to Curtis Woods and Keith Whitfield, the other committee members are Tremaine Mason, Associate Pastor for Community Development and Outreach at the Summit Church here in Raleigh-Durham area, Adron Robinson, Pastor of Hillcrest Baptist Church in Country Club Hills, Illinois. He fits the Executive Committee member. There have to be three members of the Executive Committee and at least two individuals who were on the resolutions committee last year, Curtis Woods fits that. Adron Robinson fits that as well because he was on the resolutions committee last year. We also have Walter Strickland, who is at, at Southeastern Seminary. Angela Suum, she's the founder and chief consultant of the Boston Academic Consulting Group in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and she's a member of Antioch Baptist Church in Cambridge. Trevin Wax, someone that we know uh, very well. Uh, you work with him. I've worked with him in years past. Uh, he's the Bible and reference publisher at B&H Academic and a teaching pastor at Third Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Jared Wellman, pastor of Tate Springs Baptist Church in Arlington, Texas, and member of the executive committee. Uh, Rick Wheeler, lead missional strategist of Jacksonville Baptist Association in Jacksonville, Florida. He's also on the executive committee. So, so that takes care of fulfilling that requirement to have at least three members of the executive committee. Uh, Keith Whitfield, we mentioned him. And then Alicia Wong, who's the director of women's programs at Gateway Seminary in Ontario, California. Uh, she was on the resolutions committee last year, along with Adrian Robinson and Curtis Woods. That sort of rounds the committee out. And uh, just make a few observations about this that you've seen, Jonathan. Okay. The observation that I just noticed as you were going through this, six of the 10 committee members' last names start with the letter W. Well, that's interesting. Wax, Wellman, Wheeler, Whitfield, Wong, and Woods. That's that. That's a very interesting observation. I, I had not noticed that. I've seen this list, you know, a dozen times this week, and never really noticed it. Well, but there you go. Tremaine Manson, his last name starting with M, is the lowest in the alphabet of all of them. That's and very interesting. Well, so, I I like names that start with W because yeah, I have one. Because you have but, one, right? So yeah, right. but it, it's fascinating. I I it just noticed that. So I just thought that yeah. was a little neat little thing. All right. So anyway, uh, also very diverse committee, only four white males on the committee. Uh, the rest, you know, with two women, four African-American men. So not only do you have ethnic diversity, you've got geographical diversity, you've got teaching pastors, you've got people at seminaries, national entities, you got all kind of stuff. I do like also that, that you see a real uh, spectrum of pastors, uh, lay people, denominational service, local association, just a lot of facets of SBC life. So people people engaged at many levels. So this concludes the resolutions committee. We'll look for other committee appointments that may be coming in the future from President Greer. Down to Georgia, Amy, where uh, we got news last Friday, some sad news, uh, that they had laid off 20 staff members and had a $1.2 million budget shortfall in cooperative program giving in 2018. Also in a related story, it mentioned in the past, the Georgia Baptist Mission Board had been approved to sell the building, sell the headquarters there in Duluth, Georgia, and had never really acted on that. 
And Thomas Hammond is saying, hey, we're going to move forward with that now, too. Yeah, here we go. So that's, that's something uh, that he is pledged to uh, to kind of look into as they move forward there in Georgia. But never a good thing to see a, a big shortfall in CP funding in a state, and even worse when it leads to layoffs. Yeah, these are always tough things to, to process. I haven't gotten to spend a lot of time with the details on this particular story this week, but my heart goes out to any places that are in real transition and just the, the how that hits individuals. Yeah, and Hammond is uh, also conducting listening sessions around the state. He held the first one in Lyons, Georgia on January 23rd, and then uh, had 66 pastors show up to that one. So I think he's doing a dozen or so of those around the state. So it should be a good feedback opportunity for those in Georgia. So if if he's coming to your area, be sure to go and, go and, and hear yeah. his plans. These are important conversations to have face-to-face. And so if you have the opportunity to attend, uh, d- do so. The story in Baptist Press shares just words from Thomas Hammond about how these are hard decisions. They know that the transition is going to present challenges, uh, that they're doing their best to treat departing employees with grace, respect, and dignity. So this is not easy, but uh, having conversations through it all, I think, become very important. So definitely participate in those as you can. Over to Texas, Amy, or some disturbing news about a minister who was formerly on staff at the Village Church in the Dallas area, has been charged with child sex crime dating back to 2012, even though details of the incident were not given in the story. Yeah, this is a tough story, just as all of these are whenever we have one that comes to light. There are some layers to this in that this was someone who had already been dismissed from the staff on an unrelated matter. So then after he had already been dismissed, I believe this came to light. So they are working to handle this with their staff. Uh, Matt Chandler is quoted in, in the story as saying, we want to state clearly that there are no persons of interest in this investigation that have access to children at the Village Church. We would not let anyone who is under investigation for a crime like this be near any of our children. They also talk about how they had decided uh, to not do any more overnight events with elementary children and just they're evaluating uh, current practices. So it seems like there is work to make sure all practices are just putting the safety of of children at the top priority. And then also now this is in the hands of legal authorities to see this out. But, you know, I don't know about you as, as these stories come, there's something in me that wants to think, okay, maybe this is the last story. You know, maybe this is the last one we've taken care of this. I don't think that's going to be the case because sin doesn't stop Amy. Right. And, and it's possible that as we begin to work together to say we're going to get our processes in place and we're going to get our reporting practices, you know, in sync, we're all going to commit to to do this. What will happen is we may we may learn more if we want to be the place where uh, people can find refuge and can report. But with each one of these stories that comes out into the light, my hope is that we begin to send a message that predators cannot exist in our churches, that they that they do not have a place to hide. And that's why I do think it's important that these stories get covered, 
because we begin to show the level of accountability that we're going to put forward that that is needed. Uh, but certainly we'll follow this story. Obviously, as as he's been charged, uh, there will be more to come. Yes, absolutely. And we'll follow this. And if, like you said, if there is more to come, we will report it to you. Moving to the IMB, Amy, where we got some news this week that I think we kind of expected and heard about coming for a while. But Todd Lafferty has been named the candidate for the executive vice president role uh, to be voted on in just a week or so in Richmond, Virginia at the next IMB board meeting. So Todd Lafferty has a long history with the IMB. Uh, he's pastor of mobilization at Shades Mountain in Birmingham, uh, but he served with the IMB, he and his wife did, for nearly 29 years. He's a journeyman in Scotland, and then uh, he and his wife were career IMB missionaries. They started out in a large uh, city in South Asia where he was pastor of an international church, and then he became strategy coordinator for that city, uh, then came back and was a candidate consultant with the IMB, and he was based in Richmond, Virginia for a while, uh, and then they returned to the Pacific Rim again. He's had a lot of different roles, strategy associate, interim regional leader, affinity group leader for South Asian peoples, um, and they finished their last stateside assignment with the IMB and retired in 2018. So, uh, retirement's over. <laughs> yeah, we're back in the game. So, this is a career uh, missionary who is now coming on board uh, to be the executive vice president. This is the role that's kind of chief operating officer, supervises day to day activities, administrative leadership, really is just seeing the whole uh, picture of an operation that has thousands of people. And, uh, you know, you, you have to have someone that's able to kind of see how it's all organized and make sure that that uh, processes are running smoothly. So that's what he's going to be doing. Once again, we expect the finalization of that next week at the IMB board meeting. Busy week for uh, boards next week, Amy. Yeah. Lifeway, NAM, IMB, all next week. Yeah. Y'all are like the February crew. We, we don't, we in and the, then the seminaries world, go yeah. in like in March and April. We're in the spring, which is always nice from a weather standpoint. We can do a lot more things outside, but yeah, um, yeah, we're not doing yeah. things outside next week, right? Trust me. Oh, I, I, I bet not. Yeah, not happening. IMB once again. President Paul Chitwood, who was a former KBC executive director, well, the Kentucky Baptist Convention, their executive search team has set a February fifteenth deadline for any nominations to succeed. Paul Chitwood. Uh, they've been tasked of finding the successor for uh, Chitwood up at the Kentucky Baptist Convention. So if you got somebody you want to get in, uh, recommendations should include the, at least their name and contact information, and you can send those to kbcexecutivesearch at gmail.com. That's kbcexecutivesearch at gmail.com. Down to New Orleans, Amy, where they get a $1 million grant. That's million with the pinky held to the mouth. That that is a really strange way you said that. Yes, uh, but, well, uh, people will get the joke. Uh, yeah, I but know. But it's it's a funding grant to support the school's community counseling and childhood education efforts. This is a grant from Baptist Community Ministries. It says in the the quote from Chuck Kelly in the story, it's one of the largest grants in the history of the seminary, and it says it will be used to help make New Orleans a better place 
to live. So it will be distributed over a three-year period, and it's going to be with the counseling center that they have there and their early learning center. So both of these provide service to underserved communities in New Orleans, affordable counseling services through the Leak McGee Center, and affordable child education services through the Danielson Early Learning Center. So it just allows them to expand access to serve the community, and then that also helps make their their training for students you know bigger it get it, it's more opportunities for practicum you know things like that and then then they can also serve uh, more children of the campus but also the community around so congratulations on this uh to new orleans that's a, a million dollars that's a big thing to celebrate I don't know any seminary that would turn down a seven figure gift it actually is one million five thousand dollars is what I see once you get into the story. So, yeah. 1 million is kind of the more just like throw it out there. But it's it. Let's let's not knock out that $5,000 yeah, either. That $5,000 so makes a difference to somebody. That's right. I'm so sure. it's over a million. Yes. yes. All right, some more seminary news over at Southwestern. They have revamped their MDiv program and knocked it down from 92 hours down to 82 hours. Uh just I think it was less than 3 years ago. I went and looked this up. I tweeted it the other day. Less than three years ago, they raised the MDiv to 92 hours. Everything, everybody else was kind of trending down to that 81, 84 hour mark. And they, they bumped theirs up. And less than three years later, now they, here they are revamping it, bringing it back down, uh, to 82 hours to make it more accessible and kind of more competitive in the, the market. We had done a curriculum revision here around the same time. So I don't know all about their processes, but just knowing about a concurrent one or a similar one. You know, the, the focus becomes in, in recognizing there are different delivery methods, there are different ways to, to focus. And so how do you revise the curriculum to maintain your core, to maintain exactly what students need, and then also deliver it in a way that really from everything from time to expense, you know, all, all of those things. Cause it's just, it's just a different, it's a different day. Now you don't have everyone moving to campus and kind of fitting everything in this three year, you know, package. You, you're the, the student population is very diverse in how they are completing these things. A lot of them are in the field already uh, doing ministry and trying to balance it all. So uh, in this in, in this release at NBP, it says their new MDiv is faithful to Southwestern's core commitments, yet focused on meeting the needs of current and future generations. They will have training in biblical languages and competency areas of preaching, pastoral ministry, missions, evangelism, church planting, Christian education, and academic ministries plus 12 hours of electives so it's a a more flexible than previous mdivs and then also offer it on campus online hybrid you know every every way so it's just a, a a new mdiv all right well we'll keep an eye on that as they are about to hire a new president at southwestern to see if uh, maybe the new president will come in and maybe add a little bit of his flavor to this program as well, we might see another revision in the next uh, year or so. We'll have to wait and see. And Amy, finally, some sad news up at Southern Seminary. Uh, someone I think you probably knew from your time there, Thomas Vaughn Walker. Yeah. Passed away at age 68 this past week. Yeah, this was sad. And, you know, we we cover obituaries on the, the podcast often, and, and we'll say that. We'll say some sad news 
Um, but every now and then you hit one that is sad, you know, to one of us. And I saw this hit on Twitter, I believe on uh, Sunday. It just broke my heart to to see it. So T-Von Walker was a really, really incredible man, just a true gentleman. He started teaching at Southern Seminary in 1986 and just was a fixture there. He really was. He taught in the area of black church studies and just trained tons and tons of people, you know, that just came through his classrooms. He was a wonderful preacher. I loved hearing him in chapel. And he was just a very, very gracious man. He was the first African-American full professor at any seminary in the SBC. And so, you know, and that's the the highest academic rank uh, that there is. He did his work well, and he was kind to everyone. So, you know, a lot of people have been talking about his uh, time in the classroom or his pastorate. I just remember him as a, as someone who would walk the halls and was always incredibly kind to me. And so this was one that I felt, this is a loss that I felt personally. And um, all the tributes that have been out there uh, in the in the social media world, on Facebook and on Twitter, as well as the ones in Baptist Press, are very well deserved. Um, so you should definitely check the story out. If you don't know about him, you need to know about him. So I highly, highly recommend everyone read that. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our news, Amy, and bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right. So I'm going to go to... 1973. And this one is, uh, this is one that's not super easy to cover. You know, sometimes we do funny ones. Sometimes we do ones that are just like, oh, wow, this person was born. But there's been a lot of discussion in the last few weeks, as there always is in January, about the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision in 1973. So that was 46 years ago. We have the, you know, March for Life. We have the um, Pro-Life Sunday. We had Pro-Life Chapel in at Southeastern last week. So I wanted to go back and see what uh, kind of coverage was happening in the Southern Baptist world in 1973. Uh, and, and I think it's important to remember, you know, those who have an awareness of recent Southern Baptist history, that 1973 would be six years before Adrian Rogers was elected president, uh, which that signaled the beginning of a, of a change. Uh, so 1973 would be a time when things were just a little bit different in the SBC, uh, and the spectrum of views was much wider, and that's definitely reflected um, in this. So I'm going to include two stories. One is from the January 29th issue of Baptist Press, and then one is the January 31st issue of Baptist Press. The January 29th issue uh, starts off right away uh, with a Southern Baptist attorney who activated the legal machinery resulting in the Supreme Court decision overturning abortion statutes in some 30 states, said here, the Supreme Court decision does not absolve anyone of individual moral or religious responsibility. It goes, you know, right out of the blocks. The lawyer, Linda Coffey, who was one of the attorneys that was part of the Roe v. Wade case, she was a Southern Baptist. And so there's this interview with her. 
uh, where she is explaining how it's, it's not a problem. The decision is not a problem. And, you know, even talks about how legal personhood is separate entirely from a moral or religious view of personhood that, you know, it's okay because churches can have the positions they want, but this is a ruling about something different. You know, she even observes in there that the, that a fetus was denied status as a legal person. Uh, under the fourth, 14th Amendment, but then she says, but the ruling does not relieve each individual of standing firmly behind his or her moral or religious viewpoint about what a person is or when life begins. So she was making the case that you will often hear that says, well, it's okay because you can still view the baby, you know, as a person, but it's just no legal status, you know, to, to, parsing that out. So uh, it's a, it's a really eye-opening uh, story. And then in the next issue on the 31st, there's a news analysis by W. Barry Garrett that essentially is kind of a Q&A. It, it goes through questions about the 7-2 Supreme Court decision. And it also, it's, it's talking about the Supreme Court decision overturning a Texas law and the Georgia law. So it's, you know, a couple of different cases there. And he says that they raise numerous questions which Baptists and others should seek to understand. And uh, here are some of them. So the first question, was this a Warren type or a liberal Supreme Court that rendered the decision? No, this was a strict constructionist court, kind of laying the groundwork for how this was still, you know, okay. Did the Supreme Court violate religious propriety? You know, basically, no. It decided a constitutional question without attempting to answer uh, answers to the medical, philosophical, or theological problems in abortion. They, the question gets posed, what is the Southern Baptist position on abortion there is no official Southern Baptist position on abortion. That's yeah, this, what was, this answer just blew me away. Yeah. Among 12 million Southern Baptists, there are probably 12 million different opinions, which I think we, I think something got demonstrated in the next, you know, 10 years later that there actually were not 12 million different opinions. No, um, not among at all. Southern Baptists. And we passed a resolution recently about abortion as well. I mean, like this is something that's right. continued to come up and, well, and I think it will because I would expect, I mean, we just talked about the resolutions committee. I have no idea. And uh, it's it's going to be interesting. I'm going to have to commit now. I'm not going to have any conversations with any members of the of the resolutions committee who are in my house because I want to be able to do what we do, which is to speculate, you know, so any, any speculations I have will not be based on conversations because I'm not going to ask. But I would assume we're going to do one again because of everything that has just happened. Yes. In We've seen some New craziness York. this week in the yeah, U.S. Yeah, because of what's just happened. Because as the culture continues to move in an even more extreme manner. Yeah, safe, um, legal, and rare is no more. Yeah, it actually gives us more things we need to be clear about, you know, more things to, to proclaim. So I don't know if that will come, but it, we might we might see it. I highly expect something on infanticide. Yeah, yeah. I tell you, it's just, this was actually tough to read. Uh, I think it is a important thing for us to read. History is not always easy. And um, the the stance that we have now and feel and sense, you know, continuity among Southern Baptists. You know, we don't see debate about this on the floor when these resolutions come. Um, it has not always been that way. And so these two, you know, we'll, we'll put these in the show notes. Um, but 
yeah, they were discussing this 46 years ago, this week in SBC history, and it was a very different discussion than the one you and I would have. Yes, absolutely. It's fascinating to see that Norma McCorvey was represented by a Southern Baptist who didn't really share, you know, pro-choice views. She was doing it more for the legal views. She seemed conflicted in this interview. Well, I think it was the position, which I can remember hearing this a lot more at one time, that said, yes to pro-choice, but it's okay. I can have my personal religious conviction that I wouldn't do it or or someone in my church shouldn't, but legally it should be okay. You know, that was kind of the the way that it would Yeah, would legal break personhood is that. separate entirely from a moral or religious view of personhood. Right. Right. So that's I, so I I don't think that when I read this story that there was a conflict about that. Um and then I think and that's where we're going to part ways. But it's always good to remember that in Norma McCorvey's story, she did come to receive Christ. And uh, there is even stories you can look in other Baptist press stories later about her. And she is on a different side of this now, you know, and has spoken very publicly about her regrets or thoughts on this. But at the time, you know, she was the, the person at the center of the case. All right. Well, yeah, definitely check that out and just see the difference, like you said, of where we were 46 years ago. All right. Resources of the week time, Amy. My resource of the week is Evangelism with Johnny Hunt, the new NAM podcast that's recently launched. So you can find that in your pod uh, catching device and app, whatever you use to listen to SPC this week. You can also, not in place of, but also listen to Evangelism with Johnny Hunt, uh, co-hosted by... NAM president, Kevin Ezell. So Johnny Hunt and Kevin Ezell on a microphone, count me in. Because that, that sounds that like... That could be a lot of fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's no Amy and Jonathan, but, you know, they're they're trying. It's 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 early on in their podcast, I'm sure. So I think they're going to be great. Ah, I'm not even going to compare. They I'm not be. even going to compare. Different, different types of podcasts. So, yeah, but yes. check it out. Evangelism with Johnny Hunt. Just download it. Uh, and check it out in you know iTunes, wherever you get your podcast for SBC this week. They should be there as well. So uh, check that podcast out just recently launched. Amy, your resource of the week is? My resource is a new book that's coming out by Sally Clarkson and her daughters, Sarah and Joy. So Sally Clarkson is an author that I really love, and I have a lot of, of friends who love her as well. It's called Girls Club cultivating lasting friendship in a lonely world. So this is one that is, it's primarily a resource for women and really? it is about, I would yeah, never have guessed. You know? Yeah. And it is about the importance of friendships for women. And th- there've been a lot of books that have been written about this uh, over the years, but I am very excited about this. I've heard Sally speak a lot. I've gotten to spend time uh, with her at a few events through the years. And I know that this is something that she finds very important that the, the need for relationship and community. Um, I also, am going to throw in there too a, a, a book that has been out for a little while by Christine Hoover called messy, beautiful friendship, uh, finding and nurturing deep and lasting relationships. And uh, so that one came out, hold on. That one came out a couple of years ago, but this book by Sally Clarkson is dropping this next week on February 5th. And so I, I'm very excited. I'm always quick to get 
her books as well as I've got some books by our daughter, Sarah. Uh, So this is a big joint project with her and her daughters. But I wanted to throw in the Christine Hoover one as well, because I love uh, Christine and the work that she's done in this. Uh, She has a a podcast I think I've uh, pitched on here before and uh, has done some some podcasts about this, about the friendships of women. But I think it's important and especially a lot of uh, women who are out there in ministry, whether it's a a staff position or, you know, I spent several years as a a pastor's wife and there's a, a real loneliness that can come. And uh, I think it's really important to see the need for cultivating and just proactively seeking out uh, relationships with others. And uh, these, this is a, a new resource that's coming and then one that's been out for a couple of years that, that really speak to that. Uh, so I'm pretty excited uh, about those. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our episode this week. I've got trustee meeting next week uh, where we probably get an update on where we are with the LifeWay search uh, for the president, new president of Lifeway. Hopefully we'll get an update on that and I'll be able to share that on next week's episode. But keep an eye out from uh, NAM and IMB. Uh, if anything comes from their trustee meetings, uh, I would expect maybe some uh, announcements from both of those with ongoing ministries that they are doing. So we'll probably see some stuff from that. And also from Lifeway, maybe some more details from the retail uh, restructuring and uh, reduction over at Lifeway that we talked about just a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. So uh, a lot going on in the SBC in February. It's always a busy month. You've got these three trustee meetings next week. You've got a week off, and I think a week off, maybe Guidestone the week after that. Uh, they may be meeting as well. I think they meet in February. And then you also have executive committee that third week. So right. it's going to be a busy month. So buckle up. It Southern will Baptist. be indeed. Here we go. All right. We'll see you next week. See you next week. See you next week.